0: everybody i'm chad bokelman i'm mark marble and this is the lantern cast episode 515 our first uh conversation slash interview i think since 2020 when we had gabriel and karina on or karina to talk about earth one volume two
2: I think that is correct. Actually, it's it's been so long. It's it's been so long. I haven't even really given it a whole lot of thought about what were the last few that we did. But now that you say that, and thinking about it in my head, that would probably that would probably be probably be correct.
0: I've done lots of interviews since, but uh, that was all for creative credit, which I guess we should say at some point we'll be releasing those onto the feed. So. Um, FYI, guys, uh, if you one day suddenly see a bunch of Creative Credit episodes in your Lantern Cast feed, we're just dumping those on there.
2: <laughs> yes, which is probably exactly, in all honesty, what we will do. Probably, like, instead of instead of hop, skipping, and jumping and putting them in theoretically in the actual order they were released from from the on Creative Credit, probably they will be yes, a massive dump or like on one day or something, just because. To be perfectly blunt, because it also makes it so much easier during the XML files, not having to worry about changing the dates and dates and dates. You know, you have one date, and you know, that's correct. And then you just put all put, put all of those episodes out in one fell swoop. So, yes, yeah, so at some point, probably, probably in an off week when we're not really releasing anything, I'll, uh, Chad and I will get together and we'll probably just or he'll just give me the list of all all the things that I need to do. Yeah. And, we'll, and I'll just update the xml file and boom so so it's almost like having a release
0: <laughs> uh, yeah it, it'll be good for a skip we give we need a uh, plus also if we give you the FYI now because um if those show up in the feed just know that those are older episodes so if there's anything time sensitive mentioned in said episode when you listen to it it's probably out of date at that
2: point so that is that is true uh,
0: that is your warning but in the meantime what are we talking about tonight?
2: Oh, you should tell people what we're talking about. This is this. This was this was your baby, even in ways that we didn't originally imagine it was going to turn out to be.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, without getting into the weeds of it, working with DC on getting some interviews regarding this new launch of the Green Lantern title is a little um, wonky, to say the least. So I sent out a message, just direct message on Twitter to um, Philip Kennedy Johnson a while back, and he just so happened to respond very, very recently. As you can imagine, the guy probably gets lots of messages and stuff like that. So um, he uh, followed us back pretty recently and messaged and goes, hey, I'd love to talk about the upcoming Jon Stewart backup in the New Green Lantern series and then subsequent mini series that will be coming out after the backup. So um, we put it on the books to talk to Philip Kennedy Johnson about the John Stewart backups in this upcoming series as well as his uh, upcoming mini.
2: Yes. Yeah, so now here's my here's my disclaimer for the for the episode. Now, <laughs> without going into a lot of the inner workings and the minutiae that caused all this to happen, as you as you were hear in a few moments that uh, this 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 interview is is noticeably absent one thing, me because even though I was supposed to be part of it, and uh, I will admit that well, well i'll t- I'll mention actually, I'll come back and mention this part when we wrap up. C- certain circumstances beyond my control really made it very difficult for me to participate. So I just instead of running the risk of me not being all in, I I was running at a time, so I had two choices to kind of be there and maybe not be as focused and that's not what i like to do in general but certainly during interviews where it's much more natural for chad it's more it's much more his thing i i do okay in interviews i think but i just it's not i'm not as naturally comfortable i have or i don't come across as naturally comfortable in how are we going to analyze it so i didn't think that would increase the odds of it being a good performance and maybe not even not just for me but for the show so with all things circling over and i'm really you know and it, all came, it really all came to a head like about but 45 minutes before we were supposed to record too. So there wasn't a whole lot of time for me to shuffle things. So when you hear Chad ask these questions and everything, it's like, well, there was a game plan for questions. We were both going to ask together and split up and things,
0: but well, I think I did a good job uh, asking some of the questions that we had planned that you were going to
2: ask too. Well, yes, that's where I was. That's where I was going to go with it at the end. I was saying it is interesting to hear you ask in your way, some of the questions that originally were going to be quote unquote, my questions or questions that were given. We agreed would be mine, even if they weren't all completely, you know, you know what I mean? They weren't all necessarily, Hey, I had this great idea that, but it is interesting that, uh, yeah, you, you always do well in interviews anyway. So you did. So I, I had no doubt you were going to be able to carry the flag up the hill. But then once we listened to it, it's like, yeah, it was, you're done good.
0: All right. Well, let's give the, uh, the listening audience a chance to check out my conversation with Philip Kennedy Johnson. All right, guys, and on the line now we have Philip Kennedy Johnson, who is the writer of our upcoming Backup with Jon Stewart and then the subsequent many coming out later on this year. Philip, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thank you for uh, volunteering to come on and reaching out. That was really cool. Uh, A lot of of stuff is done through the quote-unquote official channels these days, and uh, we really appreciate you reaching out like this.
1: Yeah, of course. Please forgive my delay in doing that. I'm just I, <laughs> lately I've been been struggling to keep. Uh, well, I mean I'm doing it, but I got to keep art in front of uh, or scripts in front of all the artists, and it's been it's been a lot. So thanks for being patient as I got back to you.
0: No, for sure, I appreciate it. So it uh, gave me some time to research everything that's been going on because this has been a book that has been talked about for a while now, uh, at least in terms of relative release date versus when the announcement hit that this was happening with you. So you've yeah. had an opportunity to talk about this a lot. But from the media coverage so far of the upcoming Ark it's pretty clear that you obviously don't want to showcase John as just a one-note ex-military type and kind of instead want to focus on the multifaceted side of him, which also has that architect, that tactician, that leader. So my question, I guess, to start us off would be, how do you then balance writing, you know, like, say, action-packed sequences with those quieter and more character-driven moments in your stories to help showcase what you want to do with John?
1: Well, I mean, the key to that, in my opinion, is um, is the old cliche of uh, show, don't tell, I guess. Rather than have somebody say in panel the things they care about or what makes them who they are, whenever possible, it's better to have them have them show who they are by what's happening you know like by the by the choices that they make by the the things they do on panel like there was um i don't know why i always think of this but there's there's one moment that for whatever reason sticks out of my head that as as a writer it's kind of stuck out to me where it was a nightmare alley i think is the name of the film is a del toro film Mm -hmm. about a guy who um kind of falls in with a carnival and eventually kind of strikes out on his own it doesn't really show much I got the impression that it takes place. I haven't seen it in a while, but it it feels like it's happening during the depression and um, it doesn't really get into what he was doing before he was just kind of drifting, but you see little things about him. So his, his willingness to do hard work, his kindness to downtrodden, like he, like he'll he'll walk past like later in, later in the, in the movie, he walks past a, like a bum on the street in the city and he, takes a few steps out of his way to drop some some change in the guy's hat. And there's, um, you know, you see him being kind to the geek of the carnival, the, the, the gross dude who, you know, bites the heads off of chickens, shows him kindness when he doesn't have to, but he's also not afraid to fight when it comes to it. There's just all these little things that, without a word being spoken, just kind of shows you who the person is through their delivery and through the actions themselves. And um, it just kind of helps you form an opinion of them, even if it's, or form a, you know, a, a picture of who they are, a picture of their character um, in your head without saying anything. And those moments are crucial, especially in a comic where brevity is just everything. Um, just keeping everything super concise so the, the language isn't covering up the art. Um, and that's, you know, you want to let the art tell a story as much as possible. So it's all about showing, not telling whenever you can.
0: That's interesting, because to expand on that, then I would guess then that your scripts that you're handing into your artists are a little bit different in terms of, well, first of all, are you are you putting on paper? when You know, hey, show him a scene of, you know, let's just just to use your example, not like we're going to see it in the comic book or whatever. Show show John dropping pennies into, you know, a homeless person's hat or whatever. Or are you more kind of uh, giving sort of a general idea and allowing Montos to carry it out because you and him are on the same page in terms of your interpretation and uh, definition of John.
1: Um, we've only just gotten started. Like I, we, um, he's working on the second, he's finishing up the second um, backup right now. So as far as what's going to happen in the main story, we're not there yet. Right now. Um, shoot. What can I say without spoiling the, the shorts? <laughs> that's
0: always the, that's always the tight rope walk. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, our story is more mythology heavy, I think, mm-hmm. than the uh than the lead story in the Green Air, like the Green Lantern book. The the Hal Jordan book is um Jeremy's just crushing it on on making it feel like a Hal Jordan story. And I wanted there to be a lot of contrast. Like I wanted the readers to to read this story and be like, yeah, man, this is exactly what I wanted, and then like turn the page and it's something completely different. And um just so you know, I kind of I don't mind. All the readers having their favorite, you know, like having their their Green Lantern. I I feel like there's going to be a lot of readers that gravitate towards one or the other because they're just so different. And Montos is really I'm trying to capture the uh, the grand epic mythology kind of feel of, you know, what I think D.C. books do so well. D.C. comics to me feels like mythology. And I'm trying to capture that in this book. I want the Green Lanterns to be the the Jedi of the D.C. universe and you're going to see that so clearly in the in Montos's art. I don't I try not to micromanage Montos to kind of try to answer your question more directly. I, I I don't micromanage him too much. I I make it clear that I do have a lot of detail in the scripts, but that's all with the understanding that I want Montos to kind of run wild with it and make his own decisions and change things that he needs to. So, I'm giving him a lot of direction but with the with the request that he changes whatever he wants. And I I just try to change little things in green lantern lore. I will say that there's an element of multiverse to the story that I think DC does better than anyone that I'm trying to make the most out of. And so it kind of lets me run wild and um lets me you know do a kind of epic poem version of of DC lore with the understanding that it's going to you know some of that takes place in another universe. So Montos is just nailing it. He's there's a lot of contrast even within the pages of the backup story where you're going to see our universe and also this other universe and all the contrast of it. And um, just the big epic mythology stuff that I like to do.
0: I like that because um, on our show, we actually team up with like other shows, sometimes like the the podcast of O and stuff like that. And we do something every two years called the uh, state of the green lantern union, where we kind of talk about where things are with the the franchise, uh, where they're going based on solicits and upcoming other multimedia projects. And then where we would hope to see things go. And one of the things we talk about is, uh, to kind of touch on your, your love of the, more of the contrast between you and Jeremy's stories, mm. is how multifaceted Green Lantern itself can be. Because I remember a couple of years ago it was announced, I mean, obviously the 5G whole thing didn't happen with DC, Dan DiDio stepped down and all that. But I remember we, we learned that at one point there was supposed to be a Jeff Lemire written horror Green Lantern story. <laughs> and a lot of us were like oh shit like that could be really cool because you could tell that story with green Lantern. you could tell almost any kind of story with green lantern there could be a cool romance story and it could be any green lantern character um there could be a mystery there i mean we, we've had detective stories in and uh with um uh freaking far sector um we've we've had those types of things store uh, told and to see the different type of storytelling already, your love of the contrast is giving us that I'm assuming that what we're seeing with, uh, with um, with Jeremy's is going to be more hero. hal. you know, he's the atypical superhero, what you would think of when you think of superhero right. and you're going something a little more in depth there on your end.
1: Um. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like jeremy's plans are not ambitious because oh they of are. course not yeah but right. it's like you know he's the guy that does the fun stuff and i'm doing all the real hard work <laughs> it's <nice. laughs> um it's it's different like he actually he does have some very ambitious ideas jeremy's great man jeremy's a great collaborator and he just completely nails the tone of the Hal book i they just could not have chosen a better better person to write that story in my opinion
0: i know you know because we talked touched a bit on the the, the military you said you He's often been painted in that one-note military light. So it's from my perspective, and I've never been in the service, but it seems as if, like just like past stewards of this of this character, John Stewart, the public too oftentimes forget that military service can mean many different things from a myriad of different personality types. So understanding, of course, that there's a difference between the branches. What, from your perspective as a, a master sergeant in the army, is an aspect of maybe John's uh, service that is largely untouched. I know you said you're not going to be focusing much on his, his one note ex-military, but you have a very unique perspective um, to tell or touch on an aspect of that side of his character. And I'm wondering what you see um, reflected in yourself
1: there. Hmm. I don't know how much of that is reflected in myself, except that, I think that um, huh. man, I just keep wanting to spoil shit. I'm I'm, gonna, <laughs> um, I, I'm but, sure I'm sure I'm gonna
0: re- re- read future issues and then go, oh, that's what he's wanted to say.
1: Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I um I I can't spoil what kicks the whole thing off, but I can say John is someone who wants to believe in the larger thing. Like he wants to believe in service to something larger than himself, and um. Hal's different, man. Like, Hal is somebody who, you know, is going to do the right thing and kind of thrives on conflict and thrives in, on the, the finger in the eye and the, you know, the middle finger as he flies off to do whatever he wants. And John is somebody who who wants to believe, you know, he wants to be the true believer, to believe in, in the service to the thing larger than himself and, you know, the betterment of mankind, the betterment of himself and, you know, service and belief and just the uh, you know, spree Decor and all that. When I think about John, I, when I, okay, I, I spoke to Jeffrey Thorne, actually, before I did the, the dark crisis, uh, one shot, I wanted to talk to Jeffrey because I knew how much Jeffrey loves the John character. And I just didn't know him as well as Jeffrey did. So I called him up and we talked about it. He talked, well, he talked to me for at, you know, <laughs> at, uh, at some length about, about John and everything about him. And I just kind of, what all I really wanted to know was who he is at his core, you know? 'Cause I just I had known Hal so much better growing up. And even when I saw John Stewart on the on the screen, like in animated stuff or you know, or in the context of a team book, I didn't feel like I was getting to know him all that well. So I wanted to hear what Jeffrey thought. And one of the things that he said about John that really stuck with me is that John does not necessarily intend to to, you know, die in the flight seat. Like he's he's not looking to be a Green Lantern for the rest of his life. He's gonna do his service. And when his service is done, it'll be done and he'll go and he'll do his next thing. He'll go on and live another part of his life. And that is a part of military service that that I had not thought about exploring. I was like, what happens when when your service is ended? And I do think that John does plan on like he, he gave up his gave up his career as an architect. Not that he's I mean, he still has like a day job and all that, but he's just, he's not pursuing architecture the way he might have. He's not. uh He's not giving his heart and soul as a as a marine officer, or he's not. There's other things he's not doing because he's doing this. Hmm. So I just kind of it made kind of made me ask the question, what would he do next? You know, like he's he's a complete person, that has other things he wants to do with his life. He's going to do his time, and when he's and you know, when he feels like he's getting old for it, or when he feels like he's he's done what he set out to do or when the core goes in a different way, he'll move on. So that's one element of it that I wanted to at least think about while I'm writing him, like how long is this going to be for and what's he what's he setting out to do. That's one element. Another element is just his, you know, patriotism is not the right word because he's, he's we're talking about the core and not to a na- to a sovereign nation, but um he has to believe in the thing that he's doing. So um what happens when patriotism fails you? What happens when um you devote your life to the service of of an ideal and familiarity breeds contempt right so when you when you see how the sausage is made inside the inner workings of this organization and when he knows more about the guardians more about the core when the core eventually lets him down what happens then Um, what happens to that to that, that sense of service that just kind of in a way defines who john is
0: so, yeah, because the oath and I mean, it, it, let's just say it, the oath really encapsulates what a Green Lantern is supposed to be. So, what happens when the oath fails you?
1: Yeah, kind of. Or like what happens when the thing you take the oath to fails you? Okay. Um, and one of the things I wanted to explore in uh, in the Dark Crisis one shot is we have a world in which John Stewart is Superman, basically, where a Green Lantern is the the superhero of earth like green lantern is all there is there's no justice league there's just green lantern and john is it so what does the core look like when john is the thing that kind of defines what the oath is when john defines what the core is when he defines what the guardians are um when the 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 central battery is something that he himself created when the other one died Right. You know, what, what does that Green Lantern Corps look like when it's John completely steering the ship? Um, that was something I, that was really interesting to me um, about the one shot. And that's going to be something that we continue to explore in the series.
0: That's interesting also, too, to to hearken back to the idea of what's next after your service, because in thinking about it, when you do see ex-military portrayed in media, it's all there's there's a a lot of portraying them as looking for the next fight around every corner uh, or, you know, reluctantly pulled back into the fray uh, type of thing, you know, another call comes up and they have to, you know, there's, you know, some sort of thing injustice that they feel cannot be stood. So they jump back into that fight and make that their new mission and, and put off, you know, the next stage of their life again and again and again. So I actually do really like the idea you mentioned there of him actively hoping and looking for what's next that there is an end here for him
1: yeah it's it's fun to it's fun to, to portray a version of john that's not like the in which there is a life outside of the core outside of the job that he's doing and where he you know he has a mother he cares about there's a sister involved we have to define what that means um you know there are characters that just kind of get referred to very vaguely and rarely in the books uh-huh. and i want to define who they are you know
0: Interesting, because you you did mention once in an interview about that Dark Crisis one shot that, you know, quote, we see important threads of John's backstory that have never been fully explored, unquote. And those are the same threads kind of that we've seen in the preview images of your backup in issue one, Uh showing John doing some housework for his family and in this case, his mother. So uh, you mentioned a sister. Can we expect to see more members of John's family like his aunt or his brother or any of that stuff?
1: Um. I shouldn't get into the whole family tree but I um but I I don't mind saying that the sister and and mom are going to be a part of it because we've already seen them in the one shot and I want to I do want to explore that more. I want to see how the um how the how that John differs from the one that we have here and um just see more who they are. Did you watch the Black D excuse me the um yeah the Black Lightning TV show?
0: Uh yes, I I I uh and behind a season or two but yes i did watch
1: i i also not caught up but um but his wife in that show um her maiden name i forget uh, now i'm not i'm a douchebag i forget her first name
0: no they they're they're in-laws john stewart and black lightning i think are are connected in dc comics yeah
1: yeah right so at this point like that's i don't know it was was cool to see that because i i not seen i mean the sister almost never comes up so the fact that she's like canon now and she's in there yeah there's uh,
0: there's there's that that's that's interesting too because there's also another sister i know you were primarily a hal guy in terms of what comics you did read growing up Mm -hmm. but in the in the kyle era do you ever remember judd winnick's power of ion when kyle got the ion powers for the first time i remember vaguely yes so there was an issue in there it's it's one of my all time favorite Green Lantern stories ever so uh, I just remember it by heart basically but uh, in issue 147 uh, we entirely focus on John and this is a period where he's in a wheelchair Um, and, and it's all in his mind so he's going through this therapy session and he's talking about this time he took his Aunt Loretta's car out for a joyride as a little kid with his brother in the seat next to him uh, and he talks about they took the puppy on a joyride with him. And there's this, I, you know, I, I, I the, the the, actual words that Winnick writes, I, I highly encourage both you and anybody else out there listening, go actually read the story uh, because it's very impactful. But it turns out, spoilers, I guess, <laughs> it turns out it wasn't a puppy. It was his little sister, Rose. And the puppy, the puppy, quote unquote, died in the car accident. And he's been suppressing this his whole life. Um. Mm-hmm so it's just and and yes, that's a spoiler, but I mean again, the way it's written it's it's this really like page turn reveal and also like you know the the heat different panels the puppy wait, the puppy and it's like it's it's really emotional so there's these different avenues of John Stewart's life that haven't been touched on for a long time so obviously we're talking a different uh kind of history here with John but uh I do like that we're coming back to family here and that you're gonna touch on that because, uh, one of my favorite John Stewart stories of all time was just a man and his family.
1: <laughs> yeah, that sounds really good. I'm going to find that. But yeah. you, I don't suppose you remember the issue?
0: Yes, Green Lantern 147. Um, 147. It, okay. If you see the cover, it's it's uh, basically just John in a wheelchair screaming up at the sky. Okay. Um, it's really it's really good. Um, but yeah, I, I I really enjoyed that. And uh, there's there's so much ties to this character. Um, it's one of the things too that we miss about Hal sometimes, and I'm actually looking forward to seeing the Jeremy's book now that Hal's back on Earth. Is the man's got <laughs> nephews and a brother, and I'll, where's his family? <laughs> um, so I I really enjoyed it. You're going to be touching on that with John. One thing you do like to mention, and it's something that we've talked about too on that Green Lantern State of the Green Lantern Union uh, episode I, I mentioned is how incredible it would be if we could tell different, those different types of stories about Green Lantern and, and the core outside of not just those uh, genres, but the way in which we interpret the core. And one thing that you keep pointing to is you see the core is more of a Jedi. And we've been seeing, I don't know if maybe it's the current um, mindset that the public has towards police force or whatever, it's it's it feels like there we're on the cusp of a a, maybe a change for how we tell green lantern stories and i would really love for you to flesh out what you mean by you think of the green lantern Corps as jedi because there have been different interpretations of them A, a fantasy you know knights of the round table type thing they're space explorers maybe like star trek but without the uh without the uh, the notice that they're not supposed to interfere. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. There's been different, these different interpretations. And right now we're kind of on police force, but you want to go Jedi. So what does that mean to you for them?
1: Um, I guess I mean the joining of sci-fi and fantasy elements and the, you know, my love of mythology. The fact that I, I feel like there needs to be like a long storied history of the Green Lanterns that we haven't necessarily seen all of. Now, a lot of that has been fleshed out. Like we've seen, we've seen elements of, the, of their history. Um, but there's a lot we haven't seen yet. So I don't know. I like the idea of there being lanterns out there still that are super old. Like I've just found a way to kind of cheat death the way that, that, you know, that we kind of hear about with Jedi and Sith and all that. I don't know. Just, just these kind of stories about, um, I'd like the idea of there being legends among the core you know legends and traditions like col- a culture within the core
0: the book of oa and all that stuff
1: yeah that kind of thing so i, I just want to see more of that i guess yeah um, and i you know i freely admit i'm sure your knowledge of this stuff goes deeper than my own and i'm still kind of catching up like whenever i get a new gig i there's a, an element of, of catch-up i have to play um but i'm having a great time doing it and um yeah i just want really what i, I mean about the jedi thing is just the um the long traditions the idea of there being these ancient tomes the way that the jedi have and uh, um the history of where the lights, lightsabers came from and the history of their their rifts between jedi and the sith and the gray jedi and the, the rule of 2 and all the, these different things that kind of define who they are um i just want to know more about that stuff so no yeah. i'm
0: with you i'm with you a lot of it yeah you're right a lot of it has been told but i mean much in the same way that one issue of green Lantern that talks about John's little sister and all that stuff is kind of lost to the ages so many of that stuff like what's even in canon anymore uh, that whole thing but yeah you have the multiverse to play with so it can all be in canon at this point <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah totally
0: sometimes I'll just I'll just go through previous interviews and stuff like that and rather than build an actual question I just ask for elaboration and there's a quote that you've said a couple of times and I'm really curious to learn more about what this means and it kind of ties into what you've just said there you've said i'm telling the story of a greek god who became a man what do you mean by that because i with my reader hat on and thinking of you following up jeffrey thorne i you know there's the kind of on the surface level of it this man literally just became essentially he ascended to godhood's sort of status And now he's, you know, back helping his mom do some housework. So, like, there's that, but your love of mythology and everything you just mentioned with comparing GLC to the Jedi, um, I would love to hear more about that.
1: I mean, I know that um, Jeffrey's run did make, I mean, John definitely changed over the course of Jeffrey's run, like a lot lot of that mythology changed. What I meant by that is really the difference between Marvel and DC Comics as I perceive them. (laughs) Uh Um, where, you know, Marvel heroes are more like the, you know, the heroes outside your window kind of a thing where everyone's got their own bullshit. They're sorting through Spider-Man wins. Peter Parker loses. He's got to pay. He's got to make rent. He's got to get his photos in. There's like little like everyday stuff. He's got to do his laundry. There's like, there's just, there's stuff about Spider-Man that's super mundane and, and ground level. And just very, you know, just real to life kind of a thing. Like, what would I be like if I was a superhero kind of thing? Whereas um, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Flash, Aquaman—they are a pantheon. You know, they're they're this they're these gods among us, and it's just a very different approach. And uh, to me, they just seem really different than than Marvel heroes. I I write Marvel stuff very differently than I write DC. Yeah, I mean, to me, Green Lantern is, you know, Helios. He's the the god of light, basically. He's this this whole thing. He's now he, it's different because he is, you know, John Stewart begins as a man, but his very nature is so unlike Hal. I think that John was kind of just just made for it. John is made to be, you know, this representation from the DC pantheon. Instead of the guy that shoots from the hip, um, he's the guy that's just he's the devastating warrior and brilliant tactician and that all everything they've already you know kind of gone through he's he is all those things and then he you know he's the architect who is who feels fettered by three-dimensional space by the rules of how math works you know he wants to do more and then the ring finds him and now he can do more you know so i feel like when he when he took on the ring he is he's like freed to do the things he's always kind of made to do Whereas when Hal got the ring, he's like, what the fuck do I do with this? Like he's, <laughs> he had to kind of learn what he's doing and kind of, you know, figure it out as he goes, he's this guy that is, is not afraid of anything. Uh, and John is just, just made for this higher purpose. So I guess that's, that's what I mean. I, it's not that I it's, it shouldn't represent where I'm going to go with the story or like you know, the whole Ascension to Godhood thing. I would do that element differently, but uh, just who John is as a, as a person. I, uh, I've been at West Point a couple of times over the last couple of years and taught some stuff on writing to the writing fellows there. And there's this one student there, one of the cadets. Who, um, I mean, we were talking about other books. We were talking about Last God and Superman. And I kind of under the table told him that I was going to be doing a Green Lantern thing, like a John mm-hmm. Stewart story. And I just recently gotten the cover that was going to be the Dark Crisis Green Lantern cover. <clears throat> but it was not public yet. I was like, yo, check this out. He just flipped shit over it. He was so <laughs> excited. He is the biggest Jon Stewart fan ever. And not because he looks like Jon Stewart, even though he does. He told me about why, why Green Lantern means so much to him. And he he went on, man. He went on and on about how dope uh, Jon Stewart is and about, you know, his... His belief in higher purpose, of higher calling—it's it not just about the Justice League. He's a part of this other thing that's bigger than the Justice League, that, that's bigger and older and more meaningful than the Justice League, and he's a part of that too. And he went on and on, and he was—you know—without realizing he was doing it. What he was really telling me is why he's at West Point and why he's going to be a soldier, why he's going to be an officer. Um, he was telling me who he was as a human being. You know, I just—I'll never forget that.
0: So, that's
1: interesting. I, yeah, it's an interesting guy. Monty is his name. He's a good dude, and he, you know, it was a very inspiring conversation for me. Um, West Point is where the concept of the class ring came from. Um, the, the class rings all kind of started at West Point, and um, and he said that when he when he graduates, he's gonna get the he's gonna make a ring that he's gonna design a ring that's as much like the Green Lantern ring as he can possibly make it. <laughs> Um, he's just all about it. So anyway, that's, that's what that character represents for me.
0: That's interesting. Uh, you know, to peel back a little bit of my own story, I've, I've discovered myself in the past few years that the, my favorite characters across comics for the most part, all share something in common and green lantern, obviously it's pretty obvious with the ring, but there's also venom or any of the symbiotes uh, there's, uh, a character i'm i know you're probably familiar with with your love of creepy on the dc side Ragman. Yeah. Um, there's uh even thor to some extent uh, he's a god but there's also the hammer you know these these are in in essence regular everyday people you don't have to be born under a red sun and immigrate to a yellow sun you don't have to uh lose your parents in a horrific accident and devote mind body soul and billions of dollars into becoming the ultimate weapon you don't have to get struck by lightning and chemicals or whatever like you just have to be capable of overcoming the things that hold you back. Um, You just have to be worthy to lift that hammer. You just have to be a part of a family that has this long storied tradition of taking up the suit of rags and protecting the downtrodden. Like you just have to be a good person, essentially. And that's enough to be a hero. And that is what has always resonated for me about Green Lantern, is you can tell different types of stories and you can see different types of lanterns and different types of personality types throughout the cosmos, uh, even in both human and alien lanterns. But you know, at their core, these people were all chosen for a reason and that they had the stuff to find out what that reason is and live up to it.
1: Yeah, this is all super valid. That's t- totally true. I mean, I I really, that's, that's one of the reasons it sets Green Lantern apart from these others. Um, in the pantheon but um why he's every bit i mean in a way it kind of makes him worthy in in a similar way to what the the way batman is you know where he just made himself into this thing instead of building himself into a hero he's chosen because of who they've already become you know interesting
0: yeah exactly to go back into a little bit of the story of where we're where we're going with john in terms of in the future and the villains and stuff that he's going to be faced we sort of saw a preview of that in Dark Crisis. What can you say about, I mean, obviously, we're, you know, backup stories into a miniseries, so there's not a whole lot you can elaborate on, but this um, quote-unquote new villain and, and threat that we're going to be facing
1: moving forward? Um, Man, not too much. I will say that um, I think some of the, the cooler villains in these big epic fantasy slash sci-fi kind of worlds are things like like the the infectious the infectious race of thing that 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 makes others like itself like the thing that's like the the entropy that that's eating the world you know uh one of them is like in in serenity or firefly it was the reavers right
2: mm-hmm.
1: and in um in star trek it's the borg like those things are just so friggin cool and there have been like, I mean, the whole concept of Green Lanterns being a core. There are there have already been other cores. There's been the the Black Lanterns. There's other things. But I wanted to make a, I wanted to build a mythology like this kind of alternate reality version of how things might have gone. And uh, another, like somebody else's answer to the Green Lanterns, it went horribly wrong. And that's where I came up with the the, um, the thing called the Radiant Dead in the, uh, in the Dark Crisis one shot. And I actually referred to that in, in that story, the Radiant Dead were led by this thing called the Bright Revenant. It was like this gigantic baby with uh, like a with the uh, <laughs> vampire teeth and wings and like super creepy. And it's the thing that they all kind of answer to it's, uh, it's sort of like their answer to the um, central battery. And. Um, we saw how that all played out in that issue. But in action comics, there is this there's a scene in which a uh, there's this Pelosian storyteller. Pelosians are a new race of Kryptonian offshoot that, that I invented for that for the War World Saga. And um, there's a Pelosian storyteller speaking to these child slaves. And he tell he's telling these stories that have not happened yet. Um, well, some I guess some of them have happened. He told the story, he kind of retold a version of the story of Doomsday, or like the death of Superman. But there are other stories as well. And all of them are about Superman in some way. But one of them also talked about, um, you know, Knights of Emerald Light and. um, An army of the dead led by the Revenant Queen and blah, blah, blah. And um, I always intended to tell that story. And this is another uh, this is another step in the on the. Another brick in the road getting us to the story that the storyteller was telling. So anyway, without getting too deep into it, I wanted to, to create like a kind of polar opposite thing to the Green Lantern core, and that's the Radiant Dead.
0: You don't. You don't have to answer this one because I, it may be revealing too much if there actually is an answer to this. But uh, just to ask, is this in any way based on the names of of, of this threat? Is this for uh, for the people trying to connect the dots at home? Is this in any way connected to the emotional spectrum? Um, I shouldn't say yet. Okay, understood. Understood. You've very much said that you want this to be a different type of John Stewart story than has been told before. So, is there an aspect of it that you uh, happily discovered about John that you hadn't known before?
1: Well, I wanted to be I wanted to be different than the than the Jeffrey Thorne run because um, like Jeffrey kind of explored what he wanted to do there. He made him you know he John ascended and everything changed and it was a very different take on what the Green Lanterns could be. And I wanted to um, if I were to keep stepping for if i were to build on that and continue to build further and further away from traditional green lantern lore i feel like it would become this this whole alternate version of what green lanterns are that's just not the same thing anymore so i wanted to take um a few steps to kind of bring things back where we can see Hal and john interacting again so it is going to be a different kind of john story but one that i want other writers to be able to build upon my hope is that this becomes a story that's like required reading for any other writer going forward where like this is where we get this is a kind of this is a story that defines john we see his family we see what he cares about we see who he is at his core um you know we establish what i hope is an iconic john villain and green lantern villain um i just i want it to be something that other writers can and even like fan fiction writers people that just like do sketches because they love green lantern like hopefully things that you know Uh, visual touchstones that they can refer to over and over again and also story elements that other writers can build upon and i want it to be something that develops green lantern in a very additive kind of way that makes the world bigger and older but also newer and cooler that everyone else can kind of contribute and not uh, nothing that breaks anything but things that other writers can build on well i
0: appreciate that because that is something i do want to you know, it's it's a lofty goal in every sense of it. But uh, the idea of this being something that people can uh, almost reference material to go back and see, you know, who John is, if they want to pick up a story and learn a bit more about the man. Because you've you've mentioned, of course, lots of times in, in this interview about, you know, the, the one note ex-military type he, he gets cast in a lot. I, I wholly agree with you that he does get that a lot. Another thing, just as a Green Lantern fan, that I see a lot done with John is they make him somebody who dwells who can't let go of the past. Um, he is oftentimes portrayed as, um, you know, still racked with guilt over the destruction of Zanshi and his role in that, or the loss of Kat Matui or whatever, uh, you know, whatever various crisis uh, events have befallen the man. Uh, he's always seemed to be like living in the shadow of those past failures or what he views as past mistakes or whatever. Uh, and they always seem to saddle him with that baggage. So I really like that, you know, not only are we seeing, uh, you say these things about what you want to do, to explore with John. We see him with his family and in the preview pages, one of the first shots we see of him, the man is smiling. Uh, yeah. and, and that's already a good start.
1: <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing with the, yeah the, the thing with the exploding world and all that like it's there's uh that's been done and i didn't want to drag through it again i don't know plus i mean actually that was one thing that jeffrey did pretty nicely is kind of you know resolve some of that so there wasn't even a need to address it again which was really cool yeah well thank you i appreciate that i, I mean a lot of characters a, a lot of writers rather um want to develop their character as much as they can as they should um, I just think it's very important to, to develop those characters in a in an additive way, and not a, not a way that breaks things. You know, I don't want to just I don't want to take over a character, break everything, and start again. There are there have been times, there have been stories in which that's been done very well. We've seen we've seen Daredevil torn down to the nubs and built up again, and you know it's we've seen characters you know broken and and rebuilt very effectively. Um, but Again, DC is about mythology. And to me, it's about adding things, about making the world bigger. And that's very much the kind of the, the mission statement on the story is to make the world of John Stewart and of Green Lantern, you know, the Green Lantern core and the Green Lantern mythology just bigger rather than smaller and um, with more options for the future rather than fewer.
0: 100 percent. There's actually, you know, that brings up something I did want to ask. I was, I'm just going to circle back around to it. I've heard your story about the Aquaman short story you pitched uh, and mm-hmm. what you learned from the editor about that so um there's a question i wanted to ask you and that is what makes this a story that you can only tell with john stewart
1: oh that's a good question so for for listeners who don't know i um i, I pitched an Aquaman short and um and there's one that would have been really cool um i think it was the sea witch or something but um had a really cool idea for a for a short and they were like well why is this an Aquaman? Like, why does this have to be Arthur? Like, why does that have to be, why couldn't it be a witch on land or in space? Or like, what's, why is this, why does this have to be a, an Aquaman story? And, um, that was a good question. And for that story I'd pitch, I didn't really have a good answer. Um, and that's something I think about whenever I pitch anything now. I like, why is this inherently a story about this person? And part of it is just, um, it, hmm. I, I do know the answer. I'm trying to figure out how to say it. It's.
0: It, it, I knew it was a dangerous question when I asked.
1: <laughs> no, it's. There is. I, I promise. I'm not trying to think of an answer. I'm trying to think of how to say it exactly. So this John Stewart. I think to kind of tie into the whole Greek god who became a man thing. Um, John is a person who became the Superman of this other universe. Like if there had never been a Justice League, mm-hmm. John is up to it. Like John could be. John could save Earth all by himself. And there is a world out there in which he has done that, in which he is that person. And um, in that world, he has made the greatest of enemies. Um, and now we're going to see what happens with our John in that same circumstance. We're going to see we're going to see our John kind of face to face with who he might have been
0: and who he has the the capacity to become.
1: Yeah, kind of like I, I I'm sorry, I can't say more, but no, I these okay. um, John is, in, is put in a position where he is he is crucially important in a way that he never thought he would be. I mean, even as a superhero, even as a member of the Justice League, he never thought that he would have that he would carry the kind of weight that he's going to have to carry in the story. And he's going to learn whether or not he's up to it. So it's it's just kind of ties into who John is and why I think he's the he is like the perfect lantern, really
0: that's uh that's very interesting you know all this all these things i've been asking you we're gonna have to have you back when your series wraps or something so we can just geek out together about all the stuff you wanted to say but (laughs) good
1: yeah totally i'm up up for that
0: off the subject of green lantern i did hear that you have a a john constantine dead man story in your back pocket and uh uh, and spec it's the love of the specter and just the creepy side um you want to do a ragman story together, man?
1: <laughs> because where's my suit of souls? <laughs> yeah man i I have to sit with that one and figure out what I would do with ragman, but that would be dope. I like ragman yeah i I really love all those those creepy characters, man. that would be super fun uh yeah i've
0: i've trust me, man i I'm never gonna be able to afford uh, afford a golden age book or anything like that, but i have Found myself, you know, when I have some extra cash, um, going back and buying like some key issues from the Silver Age or stuff while those are still cheap enough to get. So I've recently acquired and made a special emphasis on getting things like the first appearance of the Spectre in the Silver Age or um, I have the first issue of the Demon uh by jack oh, Kirby. what that's awesome <laughs> yeah uh and hey speaking to your love of uh john stewart and in my hands in this mylar bag first appearance of john stewart uh <laughs> so uh no there's uh there's always so much love i have of that side and anytime we get to see them it's uh it's pretty cool so you're when you said on another interview elsewhere that you love the creepy side i was like ah, oh, man i gotta ask the man if he if he has any love for my boy my boy Ragman. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: cool yeah i'd have to i'd have to put together a pitch i don't want to Pitch something live on the spot here, but <laughs> I would totally, I would totally write the shit out of Ragman and Demon too, man. Because I, I write a lot of songs for my books, songs and poems. I did this big epic fantasy horror thing called The, the Last God, and kind of in keeping with Tolkien, as like a tribute to Tolkien. There's, there are songs and poems all the way through that thing, like every issue, just because that was something that Tolkien always did, in and thought made it feel so much, just richer, you know. I just loved it. I felt like there were real people walking around in Middle Earth, whether we see them or not and um i just love it so i i mean i could write demon all day man i'm i'm just i'm made for that shit
0: yeah just get uh, especially if you're you're playing around with the the rhyming and stuff like that
1: yeah that's what i mean yeah, yeah. Like I, I love i love writing i just love writing poetry and putting them in comics it just suits it fits the suits the medium well in my opinion
0: you you know i i, I have to i have to mention it because i One thousand percent. I found myself recently very drawn to comics about music. Uh, If there's a band in it or if it's specifically about the industry or specifically about a, you know, sometimes there's the sold my soul to the devil story to be able to play music and, you know, their love of music. And then there's also the stories. uh, Man, have you been reading at least the way it started out? What's the furthest place from here by Matthew Rosenberg? Yeah, that book
1: feels like music, man. It doesn't.
0: And, and hey, did you know? I don't know if you you know the first several issues, Image put out a special, obviously edition variant or whatever of it, but it came with a vinyl.
1: No shit, I didn't know that. I know <laughs> Rosenberg really well. I don't think I knew that.
0: No, they can't, see if, it, if They were limited print, and I I I was lucky enough. Like my LCS only got one for each issue. And I was so early in my going, I, you know, reading the solicits and going, I want this book that I got that one for each issue. Uh, But yeah, ask Rosenberg about it because Dude, that's
1: awesome. Yeah. I do you, you have a that.
0: soundtrack in mind for Jon Stewart?
1: Um, You know, I haven't gotten to it, but if it were, if I, if I were going to put together a soundtrack, it would, wouldn't be a soundtrack. It would be a score. It would be like oh. a, like a, like a film score type thing.
0: Okay. Okay, I can see that. You're going to have I mean, to think my on day, that. My
1: day job is music, though, too. I play trumpet like when I'm not doing comics, and I just – I tend to – I prefer instrumental music most of the time. Uh, um, that's interesting. I, uh, I, don't yeah. usually, I don't usually write to music. When I do, um, I've got an – got a record player in my office, and I'll listen to – um, like when I was writing Alien, I would listen to those – I would listen to those scores. But I'd also listen to – um, depending on what the book was, I would listen to The Last of Us score.
0: Oh, to like, to yeah, that's really good.
1: To the game. Yeah, I've got the old um, Mondo uh, Last of Us print.
0: Uh, I have uh, three Mondo prints, uh, all Batman. <laughs> I live in Austin, Texas. So
1: <laughs> that's... Oh, nice. Yeah, that's, that's a great that's, music town.
0: 100%. 100%. No, uh, yeah, I, I agree. The um, the uh, Did you listen to the score for um, the direct-to-DVD animated adaptation of Batman Returns, or the Dark Knight Returns? wait the say that again the the direct-to-dvd animated movie of the dark knight returns part one part two they, they animated
1: re- oh yes. sorry sorry yes i'm sorry i was thinking batman returns never mind
0: no no you're yes. good
1: yeah yes the, i have seen that
0: the the this if you haven't paid more attention to it i think that score may be one of the best scores dc has ever done period um so you might want to go back
1: and listen again i haven't yeah i haven't seen it in a long time but i saw when it first came out and it was probably over a screaming baby (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah i'll have to go back and watch again no for sure man
0: if you start thinking of stuff that you think of music wise when you uh when you're writing john stewart feel free to send me any uh any links on spotify or something because i'm down Uh, i really love the connection that music can have in comics
1: um yeah i need to i need to pay more respect to the music in my shows and movies these days i'm I'm so pressed for time, man. And I'm, uh-huh. this, this is a, this is a deep, dark admission. I feel bad saying this these days when I'm practicing at home, unless there's something that really takes a lot of something that takes a lot of focus. I almost never practice not in front of the TV. <laughs> like, <I'm, laughs> like, cause I, I just don't have enough time to watch stuff anymore. Really? Like yeah. I, I'm not good about, there's just so much great television, so many great movies that I just don't make time to watch because I'm just constantly just because comics just keeps me jumping comics on my other job and trying to be a good dad. So I typically watch stuff with subtitles on the other end of my trumpet. And I, that's not the ideal way to watch things obviously, (laughs) but um, I need to get my shit together and just like get in a dark room and legit watch things and hear the music and you know, the whole experience.
0: Well, Hey man, if you ever feel like putting together something uh, wholly your own and unique, I'd be happy to listen to it (laughs) when you're thinking about Jon Stewart. So uh, um Philip, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, uh, and I really appreciate you working with us to get this done. I am very—I was already intrigued, but I'm very much intrigued to see where you go with John, and uh, I can't wait to talk to you hopefully about it more in the future.
1: Thank you, man. The first—the first backup has a new Green Lantern oath in it that I hope you enjoy. That was kind of fun to write. Awesome. I'm curious about your—about your thoughts as a super fan.
0: I, I, you know, honestly, I'm curious to read it now with your love of, you know,
1: music and rhyme and verse. So yeah, that was that was something like <laughs> the whole idea of the. As somebody that likes to just really get into the differences, like the different cultures and languages and architecture and all that in comics, I um, it always bug me a little bit that the oath is in English, and that's that, that's the only one you ever hear. And I um, I kind of wanted like are we just hearing translations of everything? And if so, then why does it rhyme here? Does it rhyme everywhere else too? And like, I just, it just didn't quite fit. And I wonder, I, in my head canon, there are different, there are different oaths in every culture.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I wanted to see one from another world. Like what is, you know, what if there's this whole other world, like would they have the same oath? And Oh be-
0: no, hundred percent, hundred percent there. Uh, if you go back to, it's usually a lot of the eighties stuff when we had the green lantern core backups and stuff like uh-huh. that, or when the book became green lantern core, um, uh different aliens have different uh, the, I I know one of them by heart do you know the character Rotlop Fan you know which lantern that is
1: no actually
0: Rotlop Fan is an alien from a sector that doesn't have any light or sun so their evolutionary process is based on sound as their heightened thing so when you have yeah, a so oath that's about light What is that? They don't know what light is. They don't have eyes. They don't have that sense. So his oath is in loudest din or hush profound, my ears catch evil's slightest sound. Let those who toll out evil's knell beware my power, the F sharp bell.
1: Jesus, that's cool.
0: Yeah, he's got a different symbol. He's a part of the Green Lantern Corps, but he doesn't know... He's got a different symbol and his ring is looks a little different still functions much the same but uh that's that's one of the ones I remember very fondly
1: that is so cool man i hope your <laughs> i hope your listeners are not pissed at me for not knowing all this shit i need to <laughs> i am still i am still working my way through all the lore so forgive me for not knowing as much as you no
0: no i i, I agree with you and and what you were talking about earlier about the different factions of people who are Hell bent on one lantern over them all. Uh, That we don't pay attention to those people over here.
1: Yeah, Uh, that's that's one thing I have found very tiresome actually. Like I get a lot, I catch a lot of flack because I mean I'm I'm writing the John Stewart book, and I mean I I legit love John, but I had to learn to love John. at first I I loved Hal and I didn't really know John well enough. 100%. No, I agree with you. It's just now, man, I love John now. Like I I just had to find my way in and learn more about him, you know. But some people are just so like they just love Hal or they love and guys, that's just it. We should, love.
0: Anybody, any Lantern fan should be happy for you. You didn't know enough about John. You made the conscious effort to learn more, and now you love him. That should be all that's ma- that matters to any fan anywhere that is coming into a new franchise or character or whatever. They go, hey, one of us, because I keep thinking back to being a nerd in school and being picked on all the time. If you met somebody else who liked comics, you wouldn't be like, oh, you're a Marvel guy. I'm a D.C. guy. Fuck. Yeah, you. exactly. You'd go comic books.
1: Yes, somebody, yeah, exactly. so the idea somebody that, else who's yeah, into yeah. comics is like finding somebody with the same rare disease as you.
0: Exactly. So the idea that there are Green Lantern fans out there who like fundamentally the same thing, hating on <laughs> each other for not liking the specific one. Yeah. Uh, the best is, is insane to me. I mean,
1: uh, a lot of, a lot of it is just this weird racist shit. So yeah. it's, it's, it's just, you know, it's just tiresome, but I, yeah, I've learned to, I've quickly learned to tune it out.
0: <laughs> we have too, man. And uh, I can't wait to see where you go with this. And thank you so much for your time, my friend. Yeah, man, it's my pleasure. Of course. Is there anything else that doesn't have to be Green Lantern or even DC, anything else you got out there that you want to pitch and and have oh, people take a look at?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking. Let's see. Action Comics is still coming out monthly, of course. Like 1055 is about to hit later this month. The Incredible Hulk comes out in June. That's June 21st. James Bond for, or excuse me, 007 for King and Country is coming out monthly. Green Lantern, of course. Um, and the creator own thing I'm putting together. That'll, that won't be out until probably late in the year, maybe even early next year.
0: Uh, can you say, is yep. it the self-publish or is it through a specific publisher? Can you even say that?
1: Um, I probably shouldn't say who yet, who just yet, but it's yeah. Later in later in the year, I'm hopeful. Gotcha. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram under my full name. Twitter under Philip K. Johnson. To and Philip, I got a website, philipkennedyjohnson.com. So yeah, look me up. I'm around.
0: Awesome man. Well, thanks so much for your time, and we'll talk to you later. Yeah, man. Thanks again. We're back, kinda. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the important question: What what would you think?
2: I enjoyed it. I thought again as 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 we kind of alluded to in the opening that I knew you would do well in general cause you do. And, and I also, it was, it was intriguing with some of the questions that, I mean, pretty much all the questions you and I had discussed as far as things that we potentially wanted to ask. And of course you have to let the interview play out as the way it does. And because sometimes it's just natural segues, which, and you know, which take you in a different direction. But, it, but it, I did think as, what I found interesting was obviously the, asking about the the star the Star Wars question was naturally going to be was naturally going to be mine related to his thoughts on what, seeing the Green Lantern Corps more as Jedi. I did find it interesting that that was more because of the lore and the mythology and having like even even in its own world of having legends and having you know figures and figureheads and. And all the all these different aspects in the history, that's the way he viewed it when probably I would have assumed he kind of meant it more. And I think you and I talked about this, that he kind of meant it maybe more as he saw the Green Lantern Corps more as peacekeepers than it just as an army or as a police force. But it's interesting that 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 really didn't seem seemingly wasn't a, any major factor in why he saw. Why he sees the Jedi Green Lantern Corps analogy, that it's more because of the the mythology behind it. And even inside its own world, that it, that there is an ongoing, well-recognized mythology and standards and legends and characters and things like that. So I I, I thought I thought that was I thought that was pretty interesting. Along, along with the fact that the question about what made that a unique Jon Stewart, unique a uniquely John Stewart story that could only or should only be told with John Stewart. The fact that he's, the fact that he thought that was a good question, of course, made me smile because the fact that in theory that was going to be mine, <laughs> 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 which it's not, it's mine in name only because you and I discussed it. It's kind of like you handed it off to me, but it, but it, but it always it does remind me of the fact that once in a while when we've done these interviews, it's like even that I, for, by luck of the draw, I have gotten that little pat on the back a few times during interviews when people say that's a good question <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> of course it's better when it's complete, when it's more uniquely my own question but it's just kind of, but it just made me smile because of the timing is like see that could have happened again
0: <laughs> yeah and i mean i i should just say because we haven't released uh, all the episodes of creative credit on the feed yet like we mentioned at the top of the show but my so people may not be familiar when I go solo with interviews, except for maybe the first few episodes of creative that have released on the feed in the past. Um, my philosophy, I guess I, it sounds like I'm giving a TED talk or something, but essentially without being, you know, a big headed about it, I the my the way I like to look at interviews is I try as much as I can to make them a conversation instead of an interview which is why I like to go in with maybe two, three, four questions instead of an entire list. So you're not going, you know, basically going down a checklist, you know. <laughs> All right. Got the answer to the first one. I'm going to ask no follow up and ask the second one um, uh, and so on and so forth. I also too try to do a lot of research so that I know what the answers are to a lot of the atypical questions. And I can see sense and see patterns in the answers that they have given in other interviews either key phrases they circle back to or descriptive words or whatever and try and phrase questions that i would ask anyways in a way that would not allow them to say the same thing that they've said before and not allows a really strong word um but i think uh i think getting things like little pats on the back like you mentioned of good question and stuff like that really it it is an ego boost because in a way it's a it's a confirmation that i have accomplished what my goal was for the interview slash conversation in the first place
2: oh no and i completely i completely get that i think it's in in a way that's one of the reasons i mentioned that all kidding aside is is the fact that even if you're not asking a lot of questions during the course of an interview, depending on how many people are either how many people are conducting it or even if it's just a one on one. But again, like you said, based on the way the conversations go, it just steers you into different angles or your or the or the answer someone gives is relatively lengthy and then takes you down multiple roads. So at the end of the day, maybe you had even if you only had three or four questions you that you knew you'd go to if you had to, that you never got to most of those because the conversation was free flowing. It's still nice to know. It, it it is nice to have somebody either acknowledge that, or you know that it's a question that they're not used to being asked one way or the other, so they have to think about the answer. That's that's uh, I think that little yeah that plat that platitude and that little reinforcement that that I think that does help. It makes you. It makes you feel better. It makes you more comfortable, I think, in the process, even based on my limited experience compared to your you know, to you. I think that I, I I feel that way, too.
0: Yeah. And you've been with me for enough of these at this point. You kind of have your own philosophy that you go with, too. So um, that's cool. What do you think of his ideas? So we t- talk sometimes about like in the past, uh, whether it's with Blog of Oa or when we do the the state of the union or when we do other types of episodes about the future of the green lantern Corps, Sometimes we talk about the, whatever, whatever the solution would be to the idea that we have too many earth lanterns, like which ones would we kill off and stuff. It was interesting to me because I do, after the cut co- cut, co- my conversation with him, I do agree with him on his, his, and I guess Jeffrey Thorne's thought process that John Stewart and his idea of the core, his personality type is he sees an end in this. He's not going to be serving forever or sitting in the saddle till he dies. Um, that you know. So necessarily, uh, the, then our solution to you know having too many Earth Lanterns wouldn't be just who do we kill off, but who maybe retires and does it and just lives out the next stage of their life. And would they do that to Jon Stewart? Probably not. He's one of the more most recognizable of the earth lanterns, you know, so on and so forth. So, but I do like the idea um, that he has, that the, at least the approach being done here is with, uh, with that in mind that Jon Stewart sees an end to this.
2: No, I, I did, I did think that was interesting and I do think that On one level, it's unique because we don't see that acknowledged that often about either characters themselves. I mean, sometimes you get it, sometimes it becomes a trope with characters themselves. It's like kind of like the lethal weapon stuff. I'm getting too old for this shit. The fact that in comics, it would be more like a trope because even if Jon Stewart rides off into the sunset, we know in comic book terms he's riding off into the sunset until somebody decides to bring him back or they think it's a, a worthwhile story that would get that would kind of like get uh John Stewart back in action. But in real life, it's it, applying it to real life. I think it does, it does make sense that it's like, well, you know, you kind of, you kind of did your bit for King and country and, and it's time to move on. And, mm. and, but we know from a, from a creative or literature perspective and that people are always going to want to bring you back. So it makes it hard, but if you just move it out and look, we move that and look at it from a real life situation. Yes. It makes perfect sense. It's like, you can't do everything forever. That's the way you did it before. And you, eventually you're going to move on. You're going to retire and you're just not going to be capable of doing, or you move into a different, you move into a different position. If you were in the field and you move into, a, you know, you move into a more of a command position where you're not on the field. So, but I thought, yeah, I thought, I thought, I thought that was, that is a relative, that is a relatively unique having that, you know, openly acknowledging that and, also, I going along with when he answered the question about, you know, the, the Greek God becoming a man thing that that was going again, going down a different road than maybe we would have thought he was going to go down necessarily. But tying that all in, I thought I thought the, I thought the answer to that question was particularly intriguing.
0: Sure. Um, one thing I wanted to point out to to the listeners, actually. Is this, I feel like, was a very unique type of conversation interview um, with a creator because, first of all, it's it's not unique in that we're talking to a creator before the book is out. That's happened before on the show. Um, but it's interesting how long we've known about this because we've known about the Green Lantern 1 since maybe end of December, early January. We've known Philip Kennedy Johnson is supposed to be writing this back up since maybe late January and the issue isn't even coming out until next week as we record slash post this. So there's that plus the fact that that's going to be the first uh, time we see his backup. So we know it's not going to be as many pages as the main story, And the series of backups is going to lead into a mini series, which we're not going to get until like the fall. So this man is being asked since the beginning of this year, essentially to answer questions about a series. One, we haven't even seen yet. And two, he's not going to be able to really get into the, at least a really deep nitty gritty until the fall. So he's, um, he's talking a lot about this book as much as he can. So That's why my questions more focus. I mean, as as much as I try to ask, you know, where we're going with this, the villains, so on and so forth. I inherently, I knew I couldn't ask as many of those questions. So I just tried to focus on who he believes Jon Stewart is. Because that's honestly going to be our biggest tell. Because, I mean, like I said, it's not that a backup can't have good content in it. But there's obviously less pages to get into the nitty gritty. And we're not really going to see the full extent of it and where it's that backup is leading us until the fall. So it's crazy. The lead time that is happening with this conversation.
2: Yes, which which certainly it does bind his hands quite a bit as far as how much he wants to reveal and how much he doesn't. How on that question? Well, how much let me backtrack, not necessarily how much he wants to reveal, how much he feels comfortable that he can reveal, Considering that we haven't basically, other than the preview pages, we haven't read anything even from the backup story in the how book yet, let alone what he's going to be doing in his own, his own uh, John Minnie. So I do think that it is, it is a slippery slope when you're trying when you're trying to, you know, trying to do that because you don't want to, you don't want to spill, you don't want to spill the beans or even if you do want to spell a, a, be- a few beans, you know, you really aren't supposed to and you shouldn't, especially in this case because it is so far down the road and that's assuming there aren't any delays based on other things or any other upheavals that go- come along.
0: So, yeah. yeah, For sure. Um, I had a good time talking with him, though. It was lots of fun. And when he started getting into the music side, I was like, oh, we got to... Uh, hold on. <laughs> what soundtrack do you have in mind for Chuck? <laughs> so, he... Uh, through through just fun conversation at the at the end of the 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 discussion, I he he made me think of like twelve more questions. So
2: <laughs> so you're prepared for next time. Yes, that is
0: correct. Um, but I, honestly, uh, and this is no bullshit or kissing ass to DC or 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 Philip or anything like that. It, After that conversation, I am more interested in Jon Stewart's backup here. Um, Obviously, you know, he the amount of faith and and everything that he has personally in um, in Jeremy Adams and what his interpretation of how Jordan is and the way those two are collaborating and stuff. um, You know, I was already excited for that story, too. Um, But um, the idea that. uh, The the idea of how philip defines john stewart now makes me at the very least extremely curious for the backup as opposed to primarily looking forward to the main story and the backup is we'll see what it is i'm actually actively curious about the backup um and uh you know as the the person who was in the conversation asking the questions i'm also very anxious to read these either the backups or then later on this year getting into the mini and going oh that he wanted to say but couldn't
2: <laughs> yes that 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 was a uh, I could i could tell that was that was something that it was kind of like uh you could almost see yourself rubbing your hands there going hmm that being able to especially once every when everything is said and done then you can go back and say oh he probably was referring to this and and he probably was alluding to that things. So I, yeah, I thought that, I thought that was, I thought that was a particularly, uh, entertaining part of the interview.
0: <laughs> for sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I, again, thanks so much to, to PKJ for coming on to the show. Um, and, and actually being, uh, somebody who actively reached out to us directly, um obviously new comic book day next week is uh is may 10th but dc usually releases their comics may 9th so or the day before on a tuesday um that doesn't mean your lcs is going to have them some do some don't but if you're a digital reader you may be able to get this issue green lantern number one as soon as may 9th um and there are all kinds of different variants for this um that are extremely cool uh, including some rare, uh, foil ones have been about different lantern cores that are only available on a certain website, uh, big time collectibles. Um, but they're like 25 bucks a piece or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, I'm really looking for the Yvonne Hayes, uh, Yvonne, Re- Ivan Reiser. or however we say his name these days, uh, variant and the one in 25 Daniel Sampere cardstock variant with Hal and the jets is really cool too. Um, uh, I, I can't wait to see it uh, and see where we go with it. I know that um, the backups will continue in the main series. I don't know if the backups will continue in the um, Night Terrors. Is that the name of the event? Yes, I believe that is correct. Yeah, so there is a there is a Green Lantern Night Terrors um, uh, tie-in, and I believe there are two issues of the Green Lantern Night Terrors. think that's Um, correct yes but uh jeremy adams is writing um is is listed as credited as a writer on one of those but i'm not seeing pkj here um that hindsight being 2020 i would have asked him if he's his backups are still continuing in those but it's probably a safe bet that they're not um so I believe the Night Terror's Green Lanterns one-shots are taking the place of the release uh, that would be scheduled normally for that month for, like, say, Green Lantern number three. Um, So there may be a pause in us seeing the main story continue uh, in both main story and backup during the Night Terror's event in the summer. So that's unfortunate, but I I am excited to see these first two issues, and uh, I I had a great time talking to to Philip.
2: You've done good, Chad.
0: All right, Mark. If people want to reach out to us, uh, you know, including any creators who may be listening, like Jeremy Adams <laughs> or anybody else, uh, how do they reach out to us?
2: <laughs> Lanterncast at gmail.com. The website is lanterncast.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook, Facebook. That's, that's a classic. <laughs> Facebook is, is an entirely different platform. We do not support. Though it would be interesting. You can you can follow. Oh God, I'm tired. I'm so tired. You can follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Hashtag geocast. To t- track us down there. Uh, we're on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please leave us a positive review on all platforms you listen to us on. Cast vids, right? That's our YouTube channel. I don't have that written down, yep. but I'm trying to wing it. Uh last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail or a text, 708 Lantern and let us know what you think.
0: All right, guys. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on Facebook.
2: <laughs> maybe we <laughs> should put that in after maybe we should put that in after the credit, after the close.
0: <laughs> maybe oh God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you oh, can be bad for life from face point <laughs>
2: oh, <and> if you <laughs> hey, we know the natural look is coming back, but come on now <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs>
0: Good night. <laughs>